This is Psalm 42. It says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So my Savior and my God, I pray now for your people in front of me that you would touch them deeply tonight, Lord, and awaken desires and thirsts and hunger that maybe have lain dormant for a long time. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you can have a seat. And take your study guide, if you would, out of the worship folder so you can follow along with me tonight. And we've been in this series on prayer now for eight weeks, and we've covered quite a bit so far, I think. Hope it's been beneficial to you, to your walk with the Lord. But there's a particular kind of praying, a particular kind of praying that really we've only touched on so far. We've only alluded to it in passing, I think, but tonight we're going to meet it head on, okay? Now, we know there's nothing wrong with asking God for things. How many of you are asking God for things? Yeah? I know I am. Lots of things. Personal things, things for my family, things for you. It's not, it's not wrong to ask God for things. In fact, just last week we talked about asking the Lord, asking our Father for good gifts. The scriptures encourage the children of God to go ahead and ask their Father for good gifts, which it says He delights in giving us. But I want you to think about something tonight. Think about this. If in your own family you were always asking your dad for stuff, always asking your dad to do things for you, but never express to him just how happy you were to know him, just how joyful you were to, to be in relationship with him and your desire to be closer to him. Wouldn't something feel not quite right about that? Or if you were in a relationship with sweet Susie or bold Bill or whatever and your beloved one was always asking you for tokens of your love, tokens of your affection, but rarely took the time to ever express their joy in just knowing you as a person. I think you'd begin to feel like something was missing, don't you think? Like something was off. You might even start to feel used. You'd think, well, well do you love me for me? Or do you love me for what I can do for you? I think we all understand the difference. Well, I am so glad the Psalms are in the Bible. I love the Psalms. Anybody else love the Psalms? Man, they're beautiful. Without the Psalms, I don't think it would be nearly as clear that there is a kind of praying that God wants for us that doesn't just seek Him for His gifts, for what He can do for us, but that seeks Him for Himself. It was the great pastor Jonathan Edwards who wrote this, The mark of authentic spiritual experience is that you become satisfied with God for who He is and not just for the benefits that He gives you. 
satisfied with God for who he is. Well, Psalm 27 and Psalm 42 that I read just a moment ago, Psalm 84, and especially the psalm we're looking at tonight, Psalm 63, each give us a glimpse into the prayer diary of a man who at times poured out his heart to God like that, just asking God for more of God. I call this kind of prayer, seeking God prayer. So say that with me, seeking God prayer prayer. It's a kind of prayer. And my hope tonight is that the the fires of your own affections for God are going to be stirred up tonight and stoked as we walk through Psalm 63, which contains David's very raw, heartfelt prayer of seeking after God. Now, in your Bible, there's a little prescript to the psalm, and, and let's take note of that because it'll help us. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so I ask, well, when was that? When was that? When was David out in the wilderness? And uh, maybe your mind goes back, if you know the story of David, to the time when he was on the run as a fugitive when the jealous King Saul was hunting him down. And um, that's probably what I would have first thought. But uh, many Bible scholars actually believe it was much later on in his life because in verse 11, he refers to himself as the king. And that was a much later time in his life. So let's ask, when did David the king ever find himself out in the wilderness? Well, 2 Samuel 15, 23 tells us when. It was when his own son Absalom was leading a rebellion against him. Basically, it was a coup. Think about that. Absalom had stolen away the affections of the people. And now he was seeking to take out his own father and, and make a power grab, grab his throne. And so King David, driven out of his palace, on the run, just trying to stay alive, finds himself out in the wilderness. And what do you think David was doing out there? Well, I'll tell you one thing he was doing. He was praying. He was talking to God. He was drawing near to God. But he wasn't really asking God for anything. He was simply seeking God for God. Listen as I read Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse 5, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be apportioned for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. And all who swear by him, by God, shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. For those of you who like textual outlines, this psalm breaks down very neatly into three sections. 
First four verses find David expressing to God his intense craving for God, for more of God. Verses 5 through 8, David is expressing his deep satisfaction in God. In verses 9 through 11, David is expressing his renewed, fo- renewed faith and confidence towards God, whom he is confident will soon vindicate him of his enemies. I wonder if when I read this prayer, if it sounded like a foreign language to you. I wonder if you heard that and you thought, I have never prayed like that in my life. But I know some of you have, and I pray that more of you will. I want us to walk through this psalm together and and see seven aspects or seven features of this kind of prayer that I'm talking about tonight, seeking God prayer. The first thing that just jumps out at me, number one, is that seeking God prayer pants for more of God. Did you see that? Pants for more of God. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints or longs or craves you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. This is pretty raw stuff, isn't it? This is on a different level. This is... This is David pouring out in words the longing of his soul for God. This is David panting, panting for more of God, not asking for anything really, except for God. I just, I just want you, God. <laughs> you're, you're what I'm after here. Pastor Tim Keller said this, In the beginning, in our first steps towards God, We almost always go to him because we want something from him. We want something in life, and we're hoping that God will be loving enough to give it to us. We want intellectual certainty, we want our problems solved, or we want our loneliness relieved. We go after God to get the things things that we think are going to complete us. But if that's the case, we're not yet really seeking God for God. The mark of authentic spiritual experience is an appetite for God. Seeking God prayer occurs when our our spiritual senses are awakened and we realize our souls are hungry for God. Hungry to experience closeness with God. In essence, I think David was praying this, Oh God, while my body longs for a sip of cold water out here in this desert land, It's my soul that's actually thirsting for you. Yes, my stomach is growling, but but what I really long for is not a steak dinner, but I long for more of you. I'm hungry for you, God. Right now, you feel too far away from me. You feel distant from me. Come closer, Lord. I've got to have you. I'm, I'm realizing that out here, my deepest yearning is to sense you right here next to me. You are my food. You are my drink. You are my refreshment. Wow. You ever pray like that? This kind of praying, this seeking God for God kind of praying, only comes from having an intense personal relationship with God. Isn't that true? The kind like is revealed in this opening phrase, Oh God, you are, what does it say? My God. He, he didn't say, oh God, you are a God, or I'm searching for you among all of the gods, or 
You are the God above all other gods. He doesn't even say, oh God, our God. He says, oh God, my God. My God. Like his personal possession. Earnestly I seek you, he says, like a man out in the hot desert sun whose throat is dry and parched, craving a glass of cold water. Like a woman who hasn't eaten in days and can't stop thinking about sitting down to a a feast, David says, my appetite is stirred up, God, but it's for you. I'm seeking you. I'm coming after you. Again, Tim Keller says, this is the way you know that you've met the real God. You're hungry and thirsty for him. Now, I'm up here talking, and you're out there listening to me, and I know that that this kind of talk embarrasses some of you. It makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that. Some of us need to be a little bit uncomfortable with the, the shallowness of our walk with the Lord so that we can go deeper, because this is what's at the core of being a follower of Jesus. Wasn't it Jesus who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? That sounds like a pretty all-consuming love, doesn't it? You see, we were made for this. We were created for this. And when God orchestrates circumstances like putting us out in a wilderness for a season, he does it to open our eyes to what we really crave. And what will come pouring out of our hearts is this, God, I must have you. (laughs) I must have you. I must have more of you in my life. I want you. Nothing else is going to satisfy my heart. That's why he allows his children to go through these seasons, these dry seasons, seasons out in the wilderness at times. Because when everything you once wanted and valued gets stripped away, that's when this can dawn on you. I didn't really need all that stuff anyway. I didn't really need all that stuff. All I really need is the Lord. You know, your car can break down. Your big screen TV can get stolen. Your 401k can dissolve during a recession. Your house can burn down. Your children can even turn on you. But there is one thing that could never be taken away from you, and that is your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. No one can take that away from you if you've got it, if it's real. Seeking God prayer acknowledges that. You are my God. I want you more than anything. I'll put these next two together. Look again at verses 2 and 3. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. So number two, seeking God prayer recalls and rehearses awesome moments with God and with his people. And number three, seeking God prayer cuts loose. Cuts loose with audacious declarations and expressive praise. You see it? Out in the wilderness, aching for God's presence, David began to stir up his affections for God even more by deliberately calling to mind some of the glorious times he had experienced with the people of God 
in the house of worship. He remembered, man, that was so great. Wasn't that awesome when I got to lead the procession to the house of God to worship Yahweh? He remembered some of those wonderful times. He pressed play and started to replay back those experiences in his mind. He started reliving them again, feeling again what it was like to behold the glory of God with the people of God. I heard a preacher say once, great statement, I've never forgotten it. He said, remember your great moments with God. Remember your great moments with God. Charles Spurgeon wrote, This is the grand use of our memory, to furnish us with proofs of the Lord's faithfulness and to lead us onward to a growing confidence in Him. I wonder, do you have some great God memories stored away in your brain somewhere? Do you? Do you ever pull them off the shelf and dust them off and hit the play button and relive those great moments with God? I do. And when I do that, when I stir up my imagination like that, my love for God and my longing for more of Him gets fanned into flames and starts pouring out of my mouth in prayer and in praise. I could tell you about many times, many of my own great moments with God. I've had a lot, more than I deserve. One I hadn't thought about in a long time until the other night when I was trying to get a wood fire going in the fire pit. And all of a sudden, my, my recollection came to me. My mind went back to a, a warm summer night a number of years ago when me and some other fellow Christians were sitting around a campfire under the stars late at night. And we were doing what people do when they're at campfires. They're staring into the orange embers, right? And just kind of looking at them. We were listening to each other talk about what it meant to each of us to be saved. To know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to know that, that he loves us. And one by one, everybody went around and was sharing and we felt God there. We felt God coming to us around that campfire. All of a sudden, I heard myself talking. <laughs> and what came out of my mouth with passion and with volume were the stanzas of a lot of the hymns I grew up hearing in church. They just started to pour out of my heart and out of my mouth. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. It came out of my mouth. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. And these songs just kept pouring out of my mouth. When I was finally done, everybody, I looked around and everybody was stunned. And I was stunned. And we felt God in that place because God inhabits the praises of his people. And none of us wanted it to be, ever be done. It was like, this is good. God is here. Not much else matters right now. We love Jesus. Jesus loves us. 
It was one of my great moments with God. And I don't think I'll ever forget it. There's nothing like sensing that God is near. And so I want to look at people I love and say, please don't lock up those God memories forever in some faraway vault in the hidden recesses of your mind somewhere. Pull them out from time to time. Relive them. Remember what it was like. Do what David did. And then let those emotions pour out of your mouth in prayer and in praise. You see, this kind of praying, this kind of seeking God prayer isn't something you conjure up on your own. It's not something that you just mouth the words to. This kind of praying erupts from somewhere down deep inside of you, right? It's like a geyser that, that, that under pressure bursts out through your mouth, shooting streams of praise up into the air to God. And almost unconsciously you find these things coming from your lips. Your steadfast love is better than life, God. It's superior to every other experience in this life. It's better than being famous. It's better than having wealth and money and power. It's better than having a life of ease and comfort. Better than achieving the loftiest success, the greatest victories, or experiencing even the most intense physical pleasures that a human being can have. It's even better than having great power to command people to do whatever I want them to do. David had experienced every single one of those things in great measure, and yet he says, knowing your steadfast love is better than life. Your covenant faithful love to me oh god is better than life itself and it's better than anything else in life that's an audacious statement to make but the great british preacher charles spurgeon agreed with them he wrote this life is dear but god's love is dearer to dwell with god is better than life at its best life at ease in a palace in health in honor in wealth in pleasure A thousand lives are not equal to the eternal life which abides in Jehovah's smile. And David had seen that smile. And it made everything else pale in comparison. Dwelling on his great moments with God caused David to lift his hands up out there in the wilderness. Can you see him? Silhouetted against the night sky. I lift up my hands in your name, he says. as his soul erupted in praise to God. And you know what? As David was out there in the desert wilderness, praising God and blessing his name and worshiping Jehovah, something happened to David. It was as if he was transported from the desert to a great banquet hall with tables and tables and tables of delicacies, sumptuous food, That's when you know you're deep into this kind of praying, this seeking God kind of praying. Something changes in you, and number four, you feel like you're feasting on God. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. By the way, the Hebrews loved fatty foods. I mean, it was just, mm, and and actually it is pretty good, isn't it? So do you see what happened here? David went from fainting to feasting. From starving for God to savoring God. 
He went from feeling empty to feeling full. His soul was supremely satisfied in God. Can you just see King David gorging himself, gorging himself at the banquet table of God? Grease dripping down his beard, patting his belly with satisfaction. Ah, this is good. This is really good. That's the picture here. Nothing had changed in his circumstances. Where was he? In the desert, parched throat, hungry, and yet much had changed in his soul. The God who had felt so distant just moments prior now felt so near, so close. That's what happens to those who seek after God with all their heart and find Him. Those hunger pangs are gone and they feel full. Now listen to me, listen to me. We live in a culture that through its movies and through its literature and through its TV shows are telling us that if we can just find that one right person to be with, right? That prince or that princess who will come into our lives and and love us for who we are and rescue us from our boring life, be everything that we've ever wanted and ever needed, That if we could just find that one person, then everything will be right with the world and we'll live happily ever after. And the irony is there's some truth to that, but the shocker is that there's no human being who can pull that off. No one on the planet can be for us everything that we want. It was never designed to be that way. And I'm telling you, if you place those kinds of expectations on the person that you love or the person you care for, be everything for me. It's going to prove to be too heavy of a burden for them. They cannot be your God. They'll become drained. You'll become disillusioned and disappointed. I've seen it dozens of times. That guy or gal was not ever meant to be your substitute savior. Only God. Listen, only God can satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Only God. But the beauty of this is that when you do come to experience this kind of satisfaction in God that we see here, then you can be someone who can enter into a relationship from a position of fullness instead of emptiness. You'll have something to give instead of always being clawing and grasping and scratching to try to receive. Does that make sense? And so here's how I like to say it. If you're regularly feasting on God, then you won't be sucking the life out of other people. (laughs) And they'll appreciate that. David's pursuit of God for God, his seeking of God's face and not his hands, his giving full expression to what was in his heart for God, left him feeling full, left him feeling satisfied in God, and that changed a lot of things. One interesting effect it had was where his mind tended to go after the sun went down. Number five, seeking God prayer joyfully ponders God in the night. Verse five, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. His bed was probably a, a stone, you know, stones and dirt. 
and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. I think it's instructive to ask yourself the question, when the TV is off and the game is over, and the kids are in bed, and it's all quiet, and all of the other stimulation from your day is, is gone, where do your thoughts tend to go? I wonder, what, what do you typically find yourself thinking about at night? What scenarios do you tend to play out in your mind while you're lying there in bed? Your answer to that question and my answer to that question will reveal a lot about how satisfying our relationship with God is. You know, I thought about this. Each of us have been, been given the powerful ability to envision with our minds, to imagine. We have been given the gift of imagination. Some of you right now, rather than listening to this sermon, are imagining all kinds of scenarios for the World Series, maybe, or the Buckeye game. I mean, we have this, this ability God's given to us. John Piper said this, unless we cultivate our God-given powers of imagination, they will shrivel up and die, and so will our worship. So what do you think? Was the gift of imagination given to us so we could play out fantasies in our minds? Play out scenarios that give us pleasure? I think the answer to that question is yes. Yes. That's exactly why we were given our imagination. The problem is our corrupted nature, our flesh, lies to us by telling us that fantasizing about romantic adventures or sexual encounters or hitting home runs or making it to the top of our company or preaching great sermons is what's going to bring us pleasure and satisfy our souls. But do they? Really? The truth is that those kind of fantasies won't and don't. Not fully. They hint at the ultimate experience, but they don't fulfill it. But, but using our imagination to recall our great moments with God and to feel them again and envision more experiences with Him like those, I believe that's a big reason that we were given this capacity that we have to imagine. I've heard that called sanctified imagination. You ever heard that term? Using your imagination to stir up your love for Jesus. Sanctified imagination. I believe in that. Now notice here that one of the things that stirred up David's, King David's sanctified imagining was his history with God. He had a long history with God. He said, you have been my help. And we know some of his story, don't we? From back in his earlier days as a teenager, a shepherd boy, he saw God strengthen him such that he was able to slay a lion and slay a bear to protect the sheep, later to kill the great nine-foot giant Goliath. He would go on to win military battles, and in all of that, God protected him. He protect, protected him from the jealous rage of King Saul, who twice threw a spear at him, tried to pin him to the wall. Ultimately, God raised him up as king over all the land. David knew that God had a long record, track record of faithfulness with him. You have been my help. <laughs> As his mind scrolled back through his own personal history with God, again and again and again, God had proven himself faithful. And so in the dark of night, out in the desert when everything was quiet except for the chirping of the insects, 
He called all of that to mind and molded over and rehearsed each instance, and it brought about a peace in his soul and a sense of security. When other people in his circumstance might have been plagued with anxiety and worried thoughts, Again, I love Charles Spurgeon, and he wrote this. If the day's cares tempt us to forget God, it is well that the night's quiet should lead us to remember him. We see best in the dark if there we see God best. Seeking God prayer leads us to ponder God in the night and doze off to sleep feeling safe in his arms, secure, as it says, in the shadow of his wing. Like, God's got this, and he's got me. Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The sixth aspect of seeking God prayer is that it keeps pursuing God until God is felt. My soul clings to you, he said. And that word, the word for clings was used of a dog chasing a rabbit. I prefer the King James Version translation. It says, my soul follows hard after you, chases you, God. I love that image. Think of it. It's like he's saying, okay, God, I'm out here in the wilderness. Absalom, my son, is chasing after me. But as for me, my heart is set on chasing after you. My kingdom is in jeopardy. My own son wants to ruin me. But it's okay because I'm not easing up until I've chased you down and caught you. I remember what it was like when you and I were close, God, when I was worshiping you and dancing and singing and beholding your glory with the people of God in the sanctuary. I remember how satisfied and secure I felt when you were, when you were close. So I'm coming after you. I've caught your scent now, God. I'm hot on your trail. You'll be hearing from me a lot. I'm not going to stop until I have you. You know, at some point in our lives, we need to ask ourselves or have somebody ask us this question. Are you only chasing after the gifts of God or are you chasing after God? Are you running up the rails from those gifts up to the giver, the one who gave those gifts? That's an important question. I think it requires some soul-searching to give an honest answer, don't you think? Are you into God for what he does for you, or are you into God for God? Piper says, if our hearts settle, even gratefully, if they settle on the beauty of the gift and do not yearn for the infinitely greater beauty of the giver, then we are idolaters and not worshipers of God. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you following hard after God? And if not, what are you following hard after? What are you chasing after? What are you panting for? One man said this, you're going to be passionate about something in your life. Something's going to grab your heart. Something's going to sink its hooks into you. And you're going to be all about that. What is it that you are following hard after? And beyond that, what do you think it's going to do for you once you've chased it down and caught it? Is what it promises you really that solid? 
One man said this, too many people climb the ladder of success only to discover too late after they've reached the top that it's leaning against the wrong wall. (laughs) There's truth to that, isn't there? And so I say to you, my friends, chase after God. Chase after God. Make knowing God and delighting in God and savoring God, your highest ambition. If you don't, you'll find yourself disappointed in the end. You'll find yourself with some regrets in the end. The pleasures of this world are like the siren calls of Greek mythology, tantalizing and alluring and seductive, but in the end, deceptive, in the end, dangerous. You can shipwreck your life on the rocks by chasing after the wrong thing. Your soul and my soul was created for God. You've heard St. Augustine's great quote from his book Confessions, right? O God, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless. It's restless until it finds its rest in you. You know what? That could be the testimony of every one of us in this room tonight. Restless, restless hearts until we find our rest in God. We'll look at verse 9. Those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth, verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. The final aspect of this seeking God kind of prayer is that it boasts in God's ultimate protection. Now, I admit, I don't like thinking about what that would mean for David and for his son Absalom. Those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. It would be just a matter of weeks before he would find Absalom's body hanging from a tree by his hair with three darts through his chest. I don't like thinking about that. But I love the prospect of having David's kind of confidence. think about it wouldn't you love to doze off to dreamland at night feeling this kind of security in God's protection like God's got this God's got me I'm in his hands I think this this nighttime peace only comes from daytime seeking God and remembering God and exulting in God and feasting in on God and pondering God and resting in God and following hard after God I believe God envelops those who seek him, envelops those who seek him in his love and their confidence in his victory and especially his ultimate victory sets their heart at ease. Wow, this is a great prayer, isn't it? Still with me? To bring all this home, I must ask this question. Is your heart ever stirred to pray like this? You should memorize this psalm. I mean, it's that good. Are your prayers ever an outlet for the stored up passion that you feel for God that finally bursts out of your lips and you give praise to God with intensity, with passion? Or has praying for you been reduced to something kind of mechanical, kind of routine? You're repeating trite phrases that you heard somebody else say once that sound kind of spiritual, but they have no meaning for you. Is that what prayer has been reduced to for you? Or is it this? 
I urge you to not let happen to you what happened to Charles Darwin. Near the end of Darwin's life, he wrote an autobiography for his children. And in that autobiography, he expressed one regret. regret. Listen, he wrote this. Up to the age of about 30 or just beyond it, poetry of many kinds gave me great pleasure. Formerly pictures gave me considerable pleasure. And music gave me very great delight. But now, for many years, I cannot endure to read a line of poetry. I have almost lost any taste for pictures or for music. I do retain some taste for fine scenery, but it does not cause me the exquisite delight that it used to. My mind seems to have become a kind of machine for grinding out general laws out of large collections of facts. Brothers and sisters, let us not allow that to happen to us. Don't let your Christianity become the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from collections of biblical facts. Don't let your first love for Jesus, your first love for Christ, grow cold. Don't let the childlike awe and wonder that you used to have die. And don't let people suck it out of you either, because some will try. Don't let the scenery and poetry and music of your relationship with God shrivel up and end up meaning nothing to you. You, You've got capacities for joy that you don't know anything of yet, and God wants to call that out of you. He really does. And so let's draw near to God, amen? Let's seek not just his hand, not just what he can do for us, but let's seek his face, as the scripture says, your face, O Lord, I will seek. Looking for just that, that, that hint of delight, that hint of approval in his face. And let's express with joyful words the passion and praise that our sanctified imagination stirs up within us in our hearts that comes bursting out of our lips like David. Let us rise up and lift our hands and bless the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's do that right now. Stand with me and let's worship our great God together.